Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Today on Inside Politics, a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. Eight words that set off a five-alarm political fire inside the Biden White House and sent the president himself into a fury. Plus, Nikki Haley's YOLO strategy. As her chances for a GOP primary upset dwindle, she's trolling Donald Trump like never before and seems to be having some fun doing it. And this year's Super Bowl ads won't all be about drinking beer and buying cars. New England Patriots owner Robert Kraft's foundation is spending $7 million on a commercial to fight anti-Semitism. Kraft joins me live from the Super Bowl site in Las Vegas. I'm Dana Bash. Let's go behind the headlines and inside politics. (coughs) When the history books are written, of the 2024 election, there will be a lot of ink spilled about February 8th. That's how my colleague Terrence Burley described yesterday, and he is so right. The Supreme Court seemed likely to side with Donald Trump in the first election-related case to come before them, whether he should be disqualified from the ballot because of the Constitution's insurrection ban. Then a special counsel report into Joe Biden's handling of classified documents before he was president officially cleared him, but it's also raised new and very damning questions about his age and mental acuity. CNN's MJ Lee joins me now from the White House. Uh, MJ, we saw how furious the president was. My understanding from people at the White House is that that was an emotion that they were perfectly happy for the public to see. Yeah, this was, I think, as furious as we have seen him recently, uh, clearly pushing back on the way that this investigation was handled. And the fact that the report had many, many references to the uh, president having memory issues. It said that uh, he didn't remember when exactly he was vice president. Also said that he didn't remember when his late son, Beau, had died. I think that line of questioning in particular was what made the president the angriest. We saw him last night in that. At a press conference, the president reacting with emotion when he talked about that issue, uh, saying, how dare Robert Hur even ask that question? Uh, we are also learning that in private yesterday, when he was meeting with Democrats in Virginia, uh, that anger really erupted, that he allegedly said, uh, how would I effing forget that? Uh, now, uh, the president, of course, last night was very much on defense when it came to uh, those allegations of him having memory issues, saying, my memory is just fine. Uh, I know what the hell I'm doing, is what the president said. And when uh, I drew the connection between these questions about his memory to the broader question of voters having concerns about his age and his mental acuity, uh, the president fired back. Take a listen. Mr. President, for months when you were asked about your age, you would respond with the words, watch me. Many American people have been watching, and they have expressed concerns about your age. That is your judgment. That is your judgment. That is not the judgment of the press. They express concerns about your mental acuity. They say that you are too old. Mr. President, in December, you told me that you believe there are many other Democrats who could defeat Donald Trump. 
So why does it have to be you now? Why, what is your answer to that question? Because I'm the most qualified person in this country to be president of the United States and finish the job I started. And Dana, uh, by the way, a White House official did acknowledge that the weekend that Robert Hur was interviewing President Biden, uh, the president was understandably distracted, is what they said, because this was the same weekend that the war in Israel was breaking out, but that there was no broader memory issue. Uh, all in all, Dana, this is a president and a White House uh, fuming about the fact that Robert Hur put out nearly 400 pages uh, in this report when at the end of the day there were no criminal charges. MJ, thank you so much. Appreciate that great reporting. And toward the end of the president's press conference last night, perhaps making a bad day for himself, even worse, he made this error. As you know, initially, the president of Mexico, Sisi, did not want to open up the gate to allow humanitarian material to get in. I talked to him. I convinced him to open the gate. President el-Sisi is the president of Egypt, of course, not Mexico. My great panel of CNN reporters are here with me to discuss all of this. David Chalian, Arlette Sines, and Daniel Strauss. Uh, thank you all for being here. Uh, Arlette, I'm going to start with you. You first started covering uh, President Biden back when he ran in 2012, I believe. Uh, or when he was running for re-election in 2012. You were an embed. You have spent a lot of time with him. Um, can you just kind of put in perspective the day that we saw yesterday and the impact on this White House, on this reelection campaign and on him personally. Well, I think this is certainly one of, if not the most fired up that I've seen him in pushing back on some of the critiques about him, specifically on the issue of age. It was clear that he and the White House felt that they needed to go out and address this in some capacity. I think long term, we'll see uh, whether this did help with that in any way. But I think the challenge that is facing the Biden uh, White House right now in the Biden campaign is that these concerns about age uh, and his memory, things that have dogged him for quite a long time, there is no immediate answer to that. And now they need to navigate what the next steps are going to be. We've already seen the campaign starting to uh, shift a little bit of the way that the Biden is out on the campaign trail, having these retail politics stops, one-on-one -on -one stops, trying to put him in front of voters. They believe that he thrives in those situations. Uh, you've also seen this fired up rhetoric about former President Donald Trump. They believe moments like that, moments like his fighting back last night, sh are showing his vitality and energy. Uh, but I think the real question is whether this is actually going to have any long-term impact and move the needle with these voters. But uh, it's clear that the president took a lot of this very personally, yeah. especially when you think about the things that were said about Bo Biden uh, well, in that report. Yeah, well, let's play some of uh, what he said about what this report uh, detailed when it came to questioning the president about the date that his son died. How in the hell dare he raise that? Frankly, when I was asked the question, I thought to myself, it wasn't any of their damn business. I don't need anyone. I don't need anyone. Remind me when he passed away, if he passed away. I'm well-meaning, and I'm an elderly man, and I know what the hell I'm doing. Now, I'm told, not surprisingly, that it was the Bo Biden part of this that got him his, his Irish up, uh, that got him as angry as he, as he was. Uh, and he definitely showed his fury. And I, I, hearing a lot of what you're hearing, that, you know, we like that people see him out there, and that's what people are going to remember. They're also going to hear some missteps in that press conference, pretty big ones. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know if the Mexico-Egypt misstep would be a big one uh, as a standalone. You know, I think Agree. We, we've heard lots of leaders uh, mix up countries before. <clears throat> it's a big one because he's in the middle of a press conference getting questions about his age and acuity, comes back to answer a question, mm-hmm. and then offers up another example that feeds into this narrative. And that that's the problem. That's the political problem of the Her report in general. It's so evocative, Dan. I know it's it's different circumstances as special counsel and uh, and what Jim Comey was doing in investigating Hillary Clinton. But politically, I, I think it really ha- echoes each other. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to have somebody come out and say, no charges being filed, no provable wrongdoing here. But let me add some other things to uh, my feelings on this topic, says a prosecutor, and actually feeds into the single biggest problematic narrative for the Biden candidacy, which is the concern that voters have about his age and ability to do the job. Yeah, it's so interesting. Yes, I mean, the, the legal parallel is very limited, but the political parallel is something that the, the Democrats, the Biden camp is very much uh, seizing on and hoping that that gets uh, the base, which is probably still not over the Comey moment, many of them, Uh, in 2016 and think that that was a big contributor to Hillary Clinton losing, uh, that it it helps to to focus the the energy on the Democratic side. Yeah, look, and uh, both Biden and Vice President Harris know that the quicksand, the narrative quicksand for them in this election is the, the president being seen as senile, Uh, being seen as not up to the job, being seen as unaware or incapable of uh, fulfilling his duties and having a vice president who is not up to the job. We've seen that argument among Republicans throughout this entire campaign cycle so far. And again, as David said, the real danger here is not him messing up a country in a press conference, it is cementing and reinforcing that narrative that, especially compared to Trump, who's not very like his age is not very different from Biden's but that their temperament their vitality is drastically different and that is why I mean beyond the fact that it's an incredibly personal thing to say you can't remember your son's death yeah. uh, that that is why this Biden White House and this Biden re-election team is so so hyper vigilant and prickly about that critique you know it was really interesting uh, because Donald Trump is so transparent in his feelings pretty much at all times uh, on on social media. It was interesting what he did say in the immediate aftermath and what he didn't say. He didn't hit this idea of Joe Biden's age and mental acuity. What he hit mostly was the notion that Joe Biden isn't getting prosecuted for this. He shouldn't be allowed to get away with this. Uh, He wasn't protected by the Presidential Records Act. I was cooperative with investigators. Crooked Joe didn't see, just the opposite. Um, he willfully retained documents. This is a scam, deranged Jack Smith, so on and so forth. What do you make of that being the focus? David? Well, first of all, let's just say what he did go after is exactly what Bob Hur discredited him on. This is, I mean, in Bob Hur's report, he makes crystal clear mm-hmm. that um, these two cases are being handled differently and treated differently because they're radically different cases and they are not the same. So he kind of in his, uh, this was one of the pieces of good news for Joe Biden in the Hur report, is that he completely, remember, a Republican appointee, right? Mm-hmm. He completely disqualifies this attack from Donald Trump of a two-tier justice system because he says they behave totally differently and Donald Trump deserves what is happening to him with the prosecution and Joe Biden does not. That's one. So I agree with you. The interesting thing is not so much 
Donald Trump trying to cloud the waters here, muddy the waters. It's his absence of seizing mm -hmm. on his opponent's greatest political vulnerability. Arlette and I were talking about this downstairs in the newsroom earlier, trying to understand. I'm, I'm dumbfounded by it because mm -hmm. Donald Trump is never one to leave a potential vulnerability on the side of the road totally. and not go after it. And so what is it? that Donald Trump sees not in his advantage here mm -hmm. to go after, I mean, the RNC did, other Republicans mm -hmm. did, they went after this I, issue, but not Donald Trump. I have, I have one um, idea. Okay, let's hear it. Okay, we'll play about uh, 30 seconds of clips from Donald Trump himself. All of the evidence, everything, deleted and destroyed all of it, all of it, because of lots of things, like Nikki Haley is in charge of security. Victor Orban, did ever, anyone ever hear of him? He's probably like one of the strongest leaders anywhere in the world. And he uh, he's the leader of, right? He's the leader of Turkey. Arlette? Yeah, I mean, the Biden campaign wants to use those types of moments every single day heading into uh, November's election. But of course, President Biden has his own. So I think the part of the calculus for Trump is maybe like, let's not bring this up because I engaged in some of these verbal uh, slip ups. But I think what's clear in this whole episode is that Trump also has an obsession with the legal cases. He wants to point out where he thinks there's a two-tiered uh, justice system. Uh, for the Biden uh, campaign, of course, the thing they want coming out of this headline, they want it to be that, that there were no criminal charges, that there were differences. But the decision by Robert Hur to include these uh, components, these uh, his observations about the president's memory, that is all that people are going to be talking about uh, in the coming days and weeks. I think time will tell uh, whether this is the issue that pushes over the voters over the edge. But the Biden campaign has been dogged by issues yeah. with the president's age for years now. And uh, in, people might already have ideas baked in. Uh, and it's unclear whether they'll be able to move anything with that. Okay, everybody stand by. If at first you don't succeed, brush yourself off and try again. That's what Nikki Haley is trying to do. Her strategy right now in South Carolina. We'll talk about that next. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Nikki Haley is embracing, 
gives me the full snark as she struggles, just like I am right now with my throat, to stay competitive, tying recent GOP struggles in Washington to Donald Trump's chaos. Republicans lost a bill on the border. Republicans lost a bill on supporting Israel. The RNC chair lost her job. Donald Trump was found that he's not immune from any of the charges that are coming up. It is total chaos. Haley's campaign is taking its cues from her new YOLO attitude with this biting new ad in South Carolina. He just can't help himself. The ranting and raving chaos follows him and he's getting older. My panel is back. Uh, Daniel Strauss, you know, I feel like we've seen versions of this in past campaigns where the candidate just has nothing to, new, to lose. YOLO, you only live once. That's where that comes from for the people who might not <laughs> be following that. Um, what do you make of how she's managing her campaign right now? I mean, at this point, she is depending a lot on fundraising numbers to uh, argue that there's still momentum and that there's still strength. There's no real new argument that we've seen in her recent advertising. It's all the greatest old hits. And uh, frankly, it's they haven't moved the needle very much. Just look at the election results out of Nevada for her, where she lost to none of the above. Um, it's also telling that this this just shows that the Republican electorate seems very firm in their opinions right now. They have, like the broader electorate, they have a, a strong opinion of Trump and there is very little that can change their opinion. So if there are Republicans who are against uh, Trump, they're going to be for Haley. And the majority of Republicans who are for Trump are not moving. So her campaign would argue that the what has changed is the the news and the environment in that her arguments are, among other things, uh, chaos uh, surrounds Donald Trump. We saw legal, you know, the Supreme Court uh, do its thing yesterday. She argues about mental acuity uh, for both candidates, and we've seen, you know, all of that play out in the news right now. That doesn't change the math when it comes to how she's doing the Republican primary, and that obviously is her very, very big challenge, and she's not the only one trolling. Donald Trump, who is the king of trolling, said the, the following last night after he did well and he won in Nevada. And last night, you know what happened last night, right? None of the above. So I'd like to congratulate none of the above. I was one of those none of ever aboves. I was one of them. David. Yeah, classic uh, a Trump line there. I, listen, Nikki Haley is suffering from the problem that we all identified uh, back uh, when the New Hampshire primary results come, came in, which is that she's in this month-long period before the South Carolina contest that she has pointed to in her home state as the thing that is going to change the trajectory for her. There, there's nothing in between here because she, all that has happened is that Donald Trump has collected more delegates. He didn't just win Nevada last night. He won the Virgin Islands caucuses. Right. He continues to add uh, to his delegate total. She remains static and st and just uh, without anything to point to other than, as Daniel noted, saying she's continuing to raise some money from the non-Trump faction, which has been proven time and again throughout the elections this year to be a much smaller faction inside the Republican uh, 
primary. So I, it's not new it, to your point about the campaign's argument saying that, oh, look, the, the, the argument's going to be more resonant now because Trump chaos is on display. Trump chaos has been on display every day for the last eight years. I don't know uh, that that is somehow going to alter voters' perceptions all of a sudden because there was a Supreme Court hearing or what have you. And she didn't go on Jimmy Kimmel, but she spoofed Jimmy Kimmel with this. Everybody hates you. Really? I think my husband loves me. Nikki Birdbrain Haley is losing big, all in caps, in the polls against Crooked Joe. Where? I haven't seen it. I'm the strongest border president ever. Well, then why did you let three million illegals come into the country under your watch? I mean, the laugh track is a, is a pretty remarkable little ad there. And I think that this is um, a side of Nikki Haley that maybe people wanted to see a bit earlier on, Republicans wanting to see her, um, you know, pushing back on Trump more aggressively in, instead of kind of waiting to really cement everything in this, this final stretch. Um, I think that one challenge for her going forward is going to be how this could affect things down the road for her, especially as the Trump, uh, as the Republican Party has clearly become a Trump coalesced party. Uh, are any of the things that she's saying now going to prohibit her or uh, hurt her down the line if she wants to pursue higher office if things don't work out uh, this time around? I also think it's interesting the Biden campaign really doesn't um, talk about Nikki Haley publicly all that much. You see them seize on moments like her slavery comments, um, but really they've been just trying to keep their focus on this is a race between Biden and Trump, and they view that as already being here. And for all the mean tweets, I just want to remind everyone, she raised her hand and said she would still support Donald Trump as the nominee, even if he's a convicted criminal. Very important point. Thank you so much. Okay, everybody stand by. Coming up, a potential Trump running mate tells CNN she would have stopped the electoral count if she had been vice president on January 6, 2021. We'll talk to one of her GOP colleagues. Plus, New England Patriots owner Robert Kraft joins me live. Find out how he's working with a speechwriter for Martin Luther King Jr. to combat anti-Semitism. We have a lot to talk about with my next guest, Republican Congressman Dan Crenshaw of Texas. He's a member of the House Intelligence Committee and a retired Navy SEAL. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, let's talk about what's happening on the other side of the Capitol. The Senate is slowly moving on a bill, $95 billion. Uh, that's how much the package is for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. Assuming it gets through the Senate, will House Speaker Johnson even bring it up? Should he? That's a great question. Uh, you'd have to ask him. I don't know that he's made any comments one way or the other. What on do you it. think? Um, look, here, here's what I would do. I would take it. I would slim it down. I've been saying this for a while on, 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 on all of those pieces of aid. There's certain things that we don't need to be funding, um, although we do have to fund the exquisite weapon systems to beat Russia. There's plenty of other things that we don't need to fund. So that's number one. Number two, I'm not ready to give up on a, on a, on a deal on the border. Uh, what we should do is send it back with HR2, right? And they'll send it back with less of HR2, and then we, and that can at least start a negotiation. The negotiation with with Senator Langford, God bless him, uh, but it didn't work. It didn't work, and so it's up to our leadership if they choose to lead uh, to actually do that. You really think that there is still the political will after what happened earlier this week 
uh, where that that deal you said it was flawed and there's a whole discussion separately to, to do about that but just in terms of the mechanics of you know how things work in congress you think that there's the political will still on the republican side especially given how clear uh the person who's going to be likely to be your nominee is that he doesn't want anything done he wants the issue not the policy change no i'm not sure there's the political will I, I'm, just, I'm just saying what you know that there are more like me who believe that we came up here and told our voters that we would secure the border that's what we told them and so if we're now changing our minds and saying we don't need new laws then why would we pass hr2 in the first place so no i i don't i'm not optimistic that there's political will for that and um but it doesn't mean i'm not going to try uh on the issue of Israel, a Congressman, President Biden yesterday described Israel's response in Gaza as over the top. I want you to listen to what he said. I'm of the view, as you know, that the conduct of the response in Gaza, in the Gaza Strip, has been. Um, over the top. There are innocent people and innocent women and children who are also in bad, badly in need of help. And so that's what we're pushing. And I'm pushing very hard now to deal with this hostage ceasefire. Congressman, you know, the president for the first couple of months was completely unflinchingly steadfast in his support for Israel and its response uh, to the October 7th attack. He is clearly uh, frustrated with the Israeli government. He obviously is also getting political pressure from many in his own party. What do you think of what he said? Well, he's not wrong, but it, but it, but it also is justified, if, if that makes sense. So Israel is engaging in a disproportionate response, which is exactly what we would do. Um, you know, if, if you look at the proportions just by population, uh, if that happened to us, it's like it was. I think the numbers are like 48,000 people. So imagine 48,000 people murdered in cold blood, shot down, babies burned, women raped, women continuing to be raped. Um, what would we do, right? Would we would we engage in a proportionate response? Absolutely not. No, we would we would we would absolutely win that war at all costs. And and so, it, it, of course, it's over the top. Because it's supposed to be. Because I, I think the Israelis have said enough is enough. We're never going to allow this to happen again. Um, and that's what they're doing. And so I, 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 we're, we're going to continue to support them. And do you think that it, no matter what happens with uh, Ukraine aid or you know, tying it to the immigration bill or not, that Congress will actually get a bill out of the Capitol that does support Israel in this environment? I, I think of all the things we're talking about, the, the Israeli aid is probably the least controversial um, <laughs> for, for whatever reason. Uh, and it, it's also not as urgent. You know, the, the, the Israelis aren't in dire need of our military support right now. It's a, it's a very different question than what's going on in Ukraine. Um, but look, I, I, I still think it's one of the more uncontroversial topics, uh, even, even though there was that veto threat. There's the, the, the support is still there. It's just people are angling for deals uh, for different for, for other packages, as you know. I have to ask you about something that your conference chair, Elise Stefanik, who is jockeying pretty openly jockeying to be Donald Trump's running mate, told uh, my colleague Caitlin Collins last night that she said if she were vice president on January 6, 2021, she would have rejected electoral votes. Listen to exactly what she said in her own words. 
I would not have done what Mike Pence did. I don't think that was the right approach. I specifically uh, stand by what I said on the House floor, and uh, I stand by my statement, which was there was so unconstitutional overreach. The there was unconstitutional overreach in states like Pennsylvania, and uh, I think it's very important that we continue to stand up for the Constitution and have legal and secure elections, which we did not have in 2020. And m the tens of millions of Americans agree with me. Congressman, you did vote to certify the election. Uh, do comments like that from someone who could be Donald Trump's vice president worry you? The only reason I'm not worried is because what she's saying is so completely incorrect. Uh, the Constitution gives you no power. You being the vice president gives you no power to decertify the election. It, it's very clear. I mean, we, we could pull it up on the screen and read it. Mike Pence uh, read it. And uh, he, he came to the conclusion that he, he has no power to decertify election. The, the word certify is not even in there. Mm -hmm. So this idea that there even is this mechanism for Congress to certify or decertify an election yeah. is just, it's totally wrong. Well, but Congressman Democrats have been totally wrong about it. They, they've done it all the last few elections. Republicans are wrong about it this time. I, Congressman, <laughs> we, we, what if, but what if, based on this what if Mike law. Pence was not the vice president? Mike Pence, who agrees with you in reading oh. the Constitution, and if... And if they're just even fast forward, this isn't a what if in the past, this is what if in the future. Let's say uh, Donald Trump picks somebody who uh, is in his camp and not in your camp about the way that they mm -hmm. claim that the Constitution reads, even though it doesn't appear to give any power sure. to the vice well, president. I mean, well, 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 a couple of things. You'll, you'll, never, you'll never see that again, because if Donald Trump wins, he's not up for re-election the second time. So you won't actually see that scenario. So, But if you did see that scenario, um, the, that vice president could say whatever they wanted right there at the gavel. They could say whatever they wanted, and it wouldn't matter because it, it's not true. Mm -hmm. you know, the, the Constitution simply doesn't allow it. There's no procedure for it. Even though we've, we, even though both parties have now made it up in their heads, and Democrats opened this door, I remind everybody of that. They they challenged election like every every election for the last like 20 years. So they opened the door. Republicans ran through it. It's all based on a lie that Congress has the power to certify or decertify an election. Yeah, that is not a power that the Congress has. It is very clear in the Constitution. The Vice President shall open the electoral votes and read them. Yeah, and the Congress she'll listen. That's it. Like, that's all it says. You know, it doesn't say anything about certifying. So in, in the end, look, a little bit of optimism here. Our Constitution is remarkably stable. We're one of the youngest countries in the world, but we have the oldest Constitution. It's remarkably stable. This country's remarkably stable. Despite all of the drama of January 6th and that election, what happened? A peaceful transition of power. That's what happened. Congressman. And, and I think that's going to continue to be the case. Congressman, thank you so much. I just want to say, and I know you know this, that Democrats certainly in the House have challenged uh, the electoral results, but we've never had a president ask a vice president to just throw them, throw them out. And I know you agree with that as well. Thank you so much. Appreciate your yeah. time. Coming up, changing the map, former Maryland Governor Larry Hogan makes a big announcement that could dampen Democrats' hopes to hold the Senate this fall. From executive producers Park Chan-wook and Robert Downey Jr., The Sympathizer is the new HBO original limited series based on the Pulitzer Prize-winning novel of the same name. Join me, Philip Nguyen, a scholar of Vietnamese-American culture, and the cast and crew as we discuss the making of this historic series. Subscribe now to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts 
and stream HBO's The Sympathizer starting April 14th exclusively on Max. Besides the football game, the halftime show, and this year, of course, Taylor Swift, the biggest buzz around the Super Bowl is always the commercials. On Sunday, the Foundation to Combat Anti-Semitism, founded by New England Patriots owner Robert Kraft, will air a 30-second ad as part of its Stand Up to Jewish Hate campaign. Here's a behind-the-scenes look at the moment Kraft calls Martin Luther King Jr.'s speechwriter, Dr. Clarence Jones, to tell him about their ad, about building bridges to combat hate, and the fact that it will be featured in the Super Bowl. Hello? Is this Dr. Clarence Jones? Yes, who's calling me? This is Robert Kraft. My beloved brother. What a great honor. No, it's my, it's my honor. Well, let me tell you something. We're going to run your ad during the Super Bowl. Oh, you, you know what? You know how to make a 93-year-old man cry. Martin would have loved you. Absolutely get the chills listening to that. Joining me now from Las Vegas, the site of the Super Bowl, is Robert Kraft. Thank you so much for being here. Building Bridges to Combat Hate, that is a big part of what you do. You recently added a $100 million donation to the foundation on top of the millions, of course, that you put in to start it. It's a huge part of your life's work. Walk us through how this Super Bowl ad came to be and how you decided to feature Dr. Jones. Well, we uh, part of the campaign of our foundation is to stop all hate in the country, and it starts with Jewish hate and then leads to every other group. And um, we did a report that showed us that if we created ads that educate most Americans who are great people, that we need them to stand up and not be silent when they see something happening that's inappropriate to any ethnic group, any religious group, uh, any gender issue, anything, we have to stop hate to keep the foundational values of America strong. And um, when I had had a chance to see, meet Dr. Jones, uh, we spent about three hours together And I saw the influence that he had on Martin Luther King, who, when I was in my early 20s, I actually heard him give the I Have a Dream speech. And he was so articulate and so good and so such a bridge building person. I needed we need more of that today. And one of the things that Dr. Jones said to me when we were in person, he said, I love you, man, because you've chosen to do this. And silence is the biggest enemy of this country right now. And you on your own have chosen to do this. And I said, that's a great message to give to all people Mm -hmm. that we have to have them stand up and Back on you know, yeah, and your message has always been that hate is hate, whether it's racism against people of color or anti-Semitism. I want to ask you, because since the Hamas attack on October 7th, Israel's retaliation, the divide between blacks in America and Jews seems to be wider. Is that another reason for this ad at this time in this venue, the Super Bowl? 
Definitely. Uh, look, we hope and believe over 200 million people will wind up seeing this in the end. And, you know, what's happened, unfortunately, uh, with this issue uh, with the Hamas attack, it's been turned into something that, um, you know, this is white oppressors at work here. And, you know, 62% of the people who have settled in Israel are people of colors from all over Africa as well as Europe. And uh, it's a haven where people went, where for thousands of years, the history of being in the country, the history is there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Christ was born in Bethlehem 2,023 years ago. And I think social media are putting messaging out there that's just improper. So we have yeah. to correct it. Well, uh, I, before I let you go, I, I know you are in Las Vegas uh, for the Super Bowl. My, in my house, you also know that my son is a huge Patriots fan. Um, he's not looking at the yeah. Super Bowl. He's already looking ahead to the next season. I have been instructed by a certain 12-year-old to ask, will you commit to drafting Marvin Harrison Jr.? <laughs> well, he's very wise. <laughs> and uh, we're, for the first time in 31 years, my ownership, we've never drafted as high as number three. And uh, he is definitely uh, the person who, if, if we didn't take a quarterback, he has the highest ratings on him right now. So your son is very <laughs> wise. Uh, but there's a lot that can happen yes. there. But, you, yeah, he's got good – do whatever <laughs> he's doing on a fantasy basis. He's very smart. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Kraft. And more importantly, thank you so much for everything you do to uh, raise awareness uh, for and, and of hate in this country and try to bridge those divides. Thank well, you so much. You, you know, Dana, we have the greatest country in the world and we have to keep this fabric yes. of people anywhere coming here and living their dream. Amen. And it's going to change if we push back on this hate. Thank you so much. Be well. Have fun tomorrow or Sunday. Thank you. Thank you. And thank, thank you. And thank you for joining Inside Politics. CNN News Central starts after the break. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.